0: our brains are hardwired for inspiration and motivation and learning and growth. Mm. And when we don't get that, it's like, you know, the chains are still going, but there's no oil going in, there's no fuel going in. So they get very tired and rusty. And I think that was kind of why we got so tired, myself included, especially during that first lockdown. Um, So I think creativity is really important in terms of keeping, literally keeping like the gears of your brain healthy and working
1: The Creative Jungle Podcast is all about speaking to and learning from inspiring entrepreneurs, creatives, and well-being experts. You'll hear about their non-conventional lives and journeys, what they have learned, and what tips and recommendations they have so that you too may be able to live a more creative and happier life.
2: We hope that if you take just one thing from this podcast, it is a practical tip that you can implement into your daily life to make things a bit happier, more creative, or even just a little more inspired. The podcast is brought to you by us, Diana and Sam, a couple who co founded MYO and Creative Jungle Company, which are all about bringing creativity to life and business. That's at MYO London. And at Creative Jungle Co on Instagram. We've helped tens of thousands of adults get creative in our arts and crafts classes with our range of creative kits or during our creative thinking workshops. Could,
1: Could you, you be, be next? next? Be sure to click that subscribe button so that you can listen to future episodes and check out the previous episodes too. Okay, now to saddle up. Let's, let's go. go. Today on the podcast, we have the, well, we are very honored to have the amazing Zoe Aston. She is a therapist, mental health consultant, and creator of Your Mental Health Workout. Zoe has over a decade's experience consulting for companies, brands, teams, and gyms to help make looking after your mental health accessible and acceptable to everybody. Her practice offers a range of emotional and psychological tips, including dealing with addiction, eating disorders, trauma, anxiety, and relationship issues, as well as being a registered and accredited member of the BACP, the British Association of Counseling and Psychotherapy.
2: And in addition to all that, Zoe is the author of Your Mental Health Workout, Quick and Easy Techniques for Coming Out of Lockdown, And also your mental health workout, (laughs) which is a free online program with tips and guidance to help you look after the integrity of your mind. Um, I guess, given the impact of COVID on everybody's lives and the challenges it has presented, we really wanted to have you on the show, Zoe. So thank you for agreeing to coming on. And we think this is going to be very interesting and helpful to people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have tons of questions and I think a good place to begin is where you all where you started you know you started out being a dancer and you set up the interlude dance troupe in 2004 when you were 16 and ran it for over 10 years how did that come about and then how did that kind of lead you to transition to where you are now
0: I think that's a great question very few interviews or podcasts that I do go back that far into my history (laughs) but yeah absolutely right and when I was 16 I set up this dance Company, which I called Interlude. Interlude was always going to be a temporary name because I couldn't think of anything else. It just kind of stuck. I think it sort (laughs) of worked. I love that. Um, (laughs) I actually, I remember I was going down the back of the... Ludacris had an album out out at the time called Chicken and Beer or something. Anyway, I was looking for sort of inspiration of the track names and there was an Interlude in it. And I thought, hmm, that's got a ring to it. So I went with that. But anyway, yeah, (laughs) I I set up Interlude kind of because I, at 16... You know, I was I was always a good dancer. I wasn't the best, um, and I felt very at sixteen. You know, I was sort of in my grown up body, so to speak. But I wasn't good enough to dance with the adults, and I wasn't little enough to dance with the with the kids. Um, there wasn't much out there at the time in terms of like youth dance. And you know, now we have like dance crews and troops, and teenagers are doing it all over the place. But you know, two thousand and three, two thousand and four um, there, there wasn't really that much going for younger teenagers. Um, so I just literally woke up one day and was like, I'm going to start a dance company. And my dad was like, yeah, he was like, "Mm "Hmm." okay. And I was like, all right, so this is how it's going to work. And I like said, all right, I need a little bit of help. I need you, I need to borrow the money so I can put an advert in the stage magazine, which was where all the auditions were at the time. Um, and then I had some auditions, I got some dancers and then he was like, Okay. Well, now you need to find them a gig, and I was like, okay. So I applied for this sort of—I um, don't know what you'd call it. It was sort of a a montage of different talents going on at Her Majesty's Theatre that year, and that was our first gig. And it kind of went mm-hmm. from there. Wow! So, yeah. What a first gig. <laughs> yeah. So I think I've always had this, and your mental health workout is the same. I've always had a slight unconscious um, awareness of like, the gaps in the not the world but the 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 gaps in the markets that i'm kind of interested in because neither interlude nor your mental health workout were like intentional i wasn't targeting a gap intentionally there was something missing for me so instead of waiting for someone else to create it i was like right well i'm gonna do it Um,
2: Out of interest, what gave you the confidence to just go for it? Yeah. Like it sounds like your your dad was supportive at the start, but was it you naivety? That, was just that said, this be fun. Spark. Yeah. that
1: enterprising spark. What gave you that spark to go, yeah, I'll do it? I
0: don't know is the, is the honest answer. I'm very stubborn um, and I've been described as bloody-minded <laughs> in the past. Um, I've always had a drive. I've always been very individually driven I love working with teams and I love working with people and it's always been what I've done I've worked in I've worked companies and you know now I'm a therapist so I I talk to people all day and I've worked in big teams which I've really really enjoyed but I've always I guess I've ambition or maybe fulfilling my potential has always been part of my story part of my journey I think partly because I was so shy when I was younger so when I started coming out of that shyness it was like oh my god actually I can do this and 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 I honestly believe I say it in the in the book that's coming out next month you know it sounds cheesy but when you're aligned with that your potential is never ending
1: amen to that absolutely <laughs> yeah I absolutely I can see it I totally believe that it's a Uh, it's I think people realize it as the older they get, absolutely. As you say, you know, when you're younger, you're still kind of finding yourself, and you might be like, Oh, I'm not the coolest kid, or I'm not the smartest, or I'm not the best. But then as you grow up and you suddenly find your groove, and you're like, you know, and you feel like, yeah, "Yeah, this is my lane, and actually I can totally own this, I can totally do this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think the big like the game changer for me as an adult was realizing that although I'd done interlude before and that had, at the time I couldn't appreciate quite what I was doing I look back on it now and I think that is my biggest achievement to date I mean the work I'm doing now is really great but when I look the, the effect that I had on all the children involved or the teenagers involved I still get messages saying right. just want to let you know how amazing that experience was and I'm still friends with these people and you know it's still in the dance industry now the newbies don't know anything about it because it was you know a long time ago mm-hmm. um nearly 20 years ago is but, it still, is it still running no no I as I became a there was a crossover there was a few years where I crossed over being a therapist and dancing and then I sort of slowly slowly just transitioned, transitioned. into mental health completely but what I realized what I realize now is that as long as I feel that what I'm doing is good enough um it's great. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be amazing. And if I could do interlude again with what I know now about being good enough and believing that I am good enough to use your words, um, I would, I would absolutely do it again with that mindset. And I think that's the thing, anyone who's starting a business or is creative or has these ideas, I would say like, yeah, follow your potential, follow your ambition, but no, it doesn't have to be amazing, it just has to be good enough, and you keep building on good enough, and that's how you get these big ideas off the ground.
2: Yeah, uh, and you, you'll enjoy it a lot more, I imagine, as well, like I think yeah. a lot of people struggle with the striving all the time, and A, not fully appreciating how good it is right now, um, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that's a good point.
1: And um, how did you go from the dance then to into therapy, what sparked that transition
0: yeah so good question again while I was dancing I'd always danced and when I was about 14 I sort of decided that dancing was what I was going to do not singing or acting I'm not a particularly good singer or actor but you have to <laughs> kind of make a decision at one point um, and I did. I went to stage school, I went to dance college. I started interlude while I was at stage school. Um, but my, I'd always had, in hindsight, struggled with sort of shyness, anxiety, depression. I'd always had funny eating habits. And when I was a teenager, I became very poorly with an eating disorder, which was kind of like on and off. And while I was running interlude, actually, um it was pretty severe but I was quite high functioning so no one really noticed and I was at dance college so you're expected to be very slender and not eat very much and you know all the sort of horrible things that go with being at dance college um but soon after I left dance college I got really unwell and ended up going into therapy and going into treatment for my eating disorder and um some self-harming behaviors um and when I came back from that, I picked Inslude back up. Someone else had been running it for me while I was sort of sorting myself out. Yeah. Um, I picked it back up again, but something had sort of changed within me. That makes me laugh because isn't that, that's a line from Wicked or something, isn't it? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, something had changed within me. Something was not the same. Um, and I... I just had a different, I was less hard on myself, I think. And I was more focused on trying to get better than being the best dancer or winning the competition. Or I just sort of lost part of that like raw, edgy, I suppose. I I, I was I was no longer a sort of naive adolescent. I was a in my early 20s and I all of a sudden had all this knowledge about myself and and the world and I thought this is really hard on me like the dance industry is really hard on me and it's not that I probably couldn't have made it in fact when I look back I'm kind of like I thought I was rubbish at times and I look back and I'm like but all these things were happening no one else thought you were rubbish like everyone else thought you were great everyone else loved you everyone else wanted you as their friend it was me who had the problem with me and when that started coming together I sort of thought Oh, I mean, I just, I just don't know if I can cope with the uncertainty of what that brings me. And yeah. I thought, oh, what, else, what else will I do though? Because it's all I've ever done. And as the, the story goes, I was sitting in a park, um, and I was sitting opposite the North London Priory. And I thought, do you know what? I really like talking to people. That's what I've learned from therapy. I really enjoy these conversations. And I thought I'm going to apply to do a therapy thing. Um, and I went home and I applied for this course. Um, on a whim. They turned me away the first year because, with psychotherapy course psychology courses, they'd like to have a bit of life experience. And I was only 22 at the time. They said, go and do a foundation year, partly also because I only had performing arts in my history. So they were a bit like, we need you to have some kind of like <laughs> academic experience. Yeah. And um, so I went and did a foundation year at Birkbeck University. And then I went back and did my master's in counseling and psychology. Um, and the moment that I knew that this was where I was supposed to be was that I was. Discussing with my parents, you know how I was going to pay for it. They very kindly paid for dance college, which um, was very expensive, and also mm. I wasn't very well, so I think they, they, understandably, they weren't really interested in investing more money. Yeah. Um, and we were sort of talking about how that was going to work. And I came home and I had a message on my landline at the time because we still have them. Um, mm about the fact that I'd got one of the scholarships that I'd applied for oh, really, right. um and I just thought oh my god this all these doors have been opened this is easy like my way into this is easy this is where I'm supposed to be dancing always felt difficult for me yeah um the psychotherapy thing the psychology thing all the opportunities were there being like just presented to me and I was like mm-hmm. aha this is where I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. so that was the crossover and for lots of years I couldn't everyone was like you should do be a dance therapist or do movement therapy or whatever and I could have matched the two Mm-mm. um but what helped was as I progressed through my psychology career was this idea of you know the body being a metaphor for the mind mm-hmm. which took me a while to kind of get to but your mental health workout is exactly that it's me using what we know about the body and how we kind of use our bodies to understand the things that we can't see about ourselves mm. um, so that's sort of quite a nice that's sort of the best way I can explain how they all yeah merge sort of find, Absolutely. yeah and I,
1: I can really see it now actually when you've described your story because I remember you saying that about your mental health workout you know we all know how to work out how to look after our bodies but it becomes so muddled when we think about our minds but actually we could apply yeah. that same structure i really yeah. like that
2: well, was there just i know a lot of people that listen to the, the podcast are thinking about career changes and yes. i know this, yeah. this is a bit of a curveball question but it's just because we kind of touched on that topic and it's it's something that diana sees a lot as well yeah. it's kind of when you decide on something it's almost like the pathway opens up. Um yeah. like is that safe to say that that happened with you? once you had the conviction I wanted to go down this route, the scholarship came, like it all became a lot clearer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say start when I was younger, say ten years ago, I found it really difficult to take responsibility for the hard work that I put into things. So I'd be like, oh, I'm lucky or I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. but the truth is, and people used to say to me, I had a boss that once said to me, she was like, and, and she was like, and you're hardworking and you're reliable and you're loyal and you show up and you take criticism on the chin and, you know, you're teachable, you're adaptable, you learn quickly. Um, I was like, oh, okay. And now when I look back, I am all of those things, but it was difficult for me to kind of own that part of my drive, I mm. guess i call it, um, So, I mean, for anyone who's looking for a career change, you know, yes, it's going to be hard work. Yes, there's going to be difficult feelings about it. Yes, you're going to doubt your decision at one point and think this is a really bad idea. And are you going to be any good at this new thing or not? Um, But if you are and I suppose I could use this across the board for physical and mental health as well, you know, it's when the novelty of it wears off Mm. and that when the commitment kicks in, that's when you really learn whether you really want it. And I've always been, I know when I want things, Um, it's just a feeling that I get, even when I'm shopping, you know, I don't buy anything that I'm not like, yeah, that's great, I want that. Like there's a certain sort of reaction that I have and I'm like, no, I really want this. I really want this. Um, And I will sort of, I don't experience, I experience setbacks, of course, but I, I refuse to believe in kind of failure and setbacks as a concept. Yes. So I always think like, okay, well, hang on, what have I learned from this? Or like, okay, so that's, that's not the way I'm going to go. I'm going to go this way. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing about career change is that people worry that they're going to fail. Yeah. yeah. And I would say to my clients, I'm like, yeah, but what if actually it's not you can't fail it's just an experiment you're just sort of testing it out and if it doesn't work it's okay try something else
1: yeah Yeah. I think we it's it's hard but it's learning to think of failure not as a permanent thing it's not permanent it's a it's a transitioning it's a as you just said realizing that oh maybe this won't work but this might or maybe this is not for me but this is it's just a transitioning. Yeah,
2: it's like it's yeah. good to rule out options. Sometimes it doesn't always <laughs> yeah, have to be always the save option. That.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And there's been some bit Sometimes at the moment, I nearly did a PhD last year, and then I sort of thought, well, I'm not really sure about this. I was writing the book, and then they have just emailed me again, and I can feel. I'm like, yeah, I would like to do a PhD, but is that just because I want to be called doctor, or do I actually want to do it? Yeah, you know. And I can feel myself. I'm like, I'm not sure. And for me, that's probably a sign that it's a no it's a no run I might look into it a little bit but I mean we'll see maybe next year I'll be telling you that I'm doing a PhD but (laughs) um you know the option the opportunity is there it's been presented to me I but there's I don't have that like yes absolutely that's my next thing yeah
3: Yeah.
0: it's not with absolute certainty yeah No. yeah as an example
2: yeah Uh, and this kind of brings us nicely to present day Mm. um so this is a bit of a long-winded question But you have there's like over twenty thousand passionate followers on Instagram, which is amazing. Um, And you give really good, useful, practical advice and support and inspiration to all those followers, and they really, really enjoy it. And from doing research on this, I it's so many things aligned with what we as a couple kind of believe in. Um, So thank you for for sharing all that. Um, What's that journey been like? I guess of growing that audience and, and sharing and being helpful. And how do you approach social media in general? Because I know there's lots of pros and lots of cons to social media and and some people struggle with it.
0: Yeah. Um, So, I mean, working backwards, I think the most important part of that question is the social media question. And I, um, I I, I stick to using social media for good. I think there are some very negative things about social media but i think you can curate your experience on Mm. social media to be helpful to you but you have to be willing to do that so for example on my feed on your mental health workout or indeed on my personal account i make sure that i'm not at the mercy of um, what other people post and i do that by not following people who are going to upset me or irritate me or i'm going to compare myself against um, And I think that's a really important thing to say because the problem with social media and mental health is that when you log on to social media, you are in the hands of what anyone else may have posted that day. And you just cannot predict whether it's going to make you feel better or make you feel worse. So if there's any discrepancy or any concern around how your social media feed is going to help make you feel then you've got to start creating it so that you know, when you go on to social media, you're going to find inspiration, yeah. you know, and mine is so much so that actually I was thinking, I did some more therapy, like personal therapy recently, and there was something that she said, and I thought, I thought, yeah, but I just have to log onto social media to get that information. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily need, and this leads me into the other bit, nicely. I don't necessarily need a therapist, to pay a therapist yeah. to get that info. That is now available to me by the social media world that I've created, mm. um, which leads me to why I set up a social media account and why I think other millennial therapists are doing the same thing because fundamentally I believe that some of the information that people pay therapists for, we shouldn't have to pay for. Yeah you know, stuff around self-esteem, stuff around boundaries, stuff around understanding trauma, understanding family dynamics, understanding burnout, stress, grief, and how to manage all of those things. We should just have that information available to us. And Mm -hmm. after, I think it was, I don't know, maybe eight years of being a therapist, I said to my dad, I was like, dad, how do I, how can I like get this information outside of, the therapy room because I'm sitting in a in four wall four walls with the confidentiality statement in place um but when I talk to my friends and they say they tell me they've got a problem and I'm like well you know that you can just use a boundary there and they're like oh my god <gasps> oh I'll be like you know like that's a self-esteem thing and they're like oh my god so if i just start to believe in myself then that will change i'm like oh my gosh like i i we shouldn't have to train and pay people to tell us these things Mm. um and he said he always worked in tv and he was like well film yourself talking and see if you like it and i was like oh okay so and then my little sister she was like oh igtv is the new youtube and i Mm. said oh okay well i'll start an igtv um channel and that's kind of how it came about Mm. um And I think there's lots of, when I started doing it, there's lots of accounts on mental health and people who have been through their own mental health experiences, as have I. But there are only a handful of people who are qualified uh, to actually give um, advice or direction that isn't going to cause harm in any way. It's very difficult sometimes when you're giving advice around mental health to make sure that you're not going to cause any harm. And of course, Mm as psychotherapists or any medical, health professional the first thing is do no harm Mm. um and i think it can be very dangerous is probably too strong a word but if we're just listening to people who are sharing their own journey what we lose is like the nuance of what's going to work for us so your mental health the your mental health workout the account is kind of run by the followers so they send in questions they do votes i mean i'm ultimately in charge of it but we do votes around topics and yes. i take the things that they want to hear about so that it stays relatively current um but also i'm not just sharing my experience of i don't know anxiety depression eating disorders self-harm um and therefore it's not going to be um triggering to anyone it's not going to be something that's gonna do someone any any harm um but I think the main thing is that there's lots of information out there around physical and nutritional health. Um, and people say, well, eat this and do this exercise and then you'll get that. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could, um, and this is quite a long-winded answer, but if we could have a program like that for our mental health. Now, it is not new to be giving people like to, like steps to do stuff. If you look at CBT for decades, people have been given, mm. um, you know, do this, this, and this when you're this. Mm. The difference is that CBT models, DBT models, all those kind of things that are available to us are targeted at people who have already identified that they've got a problem that they want to get better from. Yeah. And my push is that actually, you know, you don't go to the gym because you're hurt or broken. In fact, you can't go if you're hurt and if you're hurt and broken, you have to rest. Um, Anyone has the right to look after their mental health. You do not have to be talking about anxiety or depression or trauma or addiction or codependency or any of that in order to have the right to apply these things to your life. which has made the sort of CBT stuff a little bit inaccessible. So I hope that your mental health workout as a program and the account and the website and all of that is what is available and works for people who are both um, struggling with diagnosable mental health problems, but also people who are just like, do you know what? I want to get my brain in better shape. I want to get my mind in better shape and I don't need to be poorly to do that. So I hope it's kind of a wide a wide berth, and that's what differentiates it from the sort of old school CBT type steps that we've always we kind of are all aware of.
1: Yeah.
2: Nice. So yeah. So very practical, helpful, and like everybody can take and something from. Something yeah. That, um, yeah. Which is really good. Mm. But I Guess kind of touching on that point a little bit, like how. How do you feel the perception of mental health has changed in recent years? Like you kind of touched on it there that people are being more mindful of themselves, even if it's not necessarily an illness, it's still something that should be taken care of. Yeah. Have you seen that change a lot in recent years? And kind of what excites you or worries you about the future?
0: Yeah, um, it definitely has changed in recent years. And on the book that's coming out next month, which is the full program, like the five week program on the first page, I literally talk about stigma and shame and why people don't reach out for help with their mental health Yeah. Um, and how that is changing. And I think our generation, the millennials have definitely changed that because there's, I see a generation of people that are like determined to heal from whatever it is that we're carrying for our ancestors and our generational trauma and you know whatever wherever you come from whatever culture you come from there's always stuff that travels through families yeah and I think the millennials as a sort of collective unconscious are this is actually what I'm thinking about doing the PhD on Funny enough uh, are trying to heal from um transgenerational trauma yeah
2: Clean slate, and, almost just like wipe and yeah. stay clean, and yeah,
0: yeah. And um, so I think the perception of mental health has changed because people are talking about it more openly. Like basically, we've just had enough of mm. not being able to talk about it. When I was a teenager, and when I was really sick, you know, my my mum in particular. I mean, people were so ashamed if their child had a problem they thought that there was a fault in their parenting or there was something they'd done wrong or something awful had happened to their child um and just no one would talk about it um and I wish there'd been I kind of don't wish social media had been around when I was a teenager but I wish I'd had access to some of the the good parts of social media yeah Yeah, the information when I was um that you know isolated and lonely and what I was going through because I think it would have made some of a difference to be to be quite honest yeah um so I do think the perception of mental health is changing and we are starting to talk about it and gyms and fitness places and holistic therapies are starting to join up mind and body much more because our mind is just another part of our body we've just separated it for you know ease basically um but I do I suppose I am very aware that I am surrounded by it all the time. And the people I surround myself with are also talking about mental health and are interested in it. And when I step out of my own corner of the world and my own bubble, I come across other industries that are still you know, in in just an opinion, you know, 10, 15 years behind in terms of mental health. And I think, yeah, I have to remember that not everybody is is there yet. Yeah. Um, So I think there is a bit of a lag, but to be quite honest, as I'm saying this out loud, um, this might be a little controversial, but the the, the places that I find um, are a bit behind are the systems that are run by very patriarchal systems they're sort of run by old school patriarchy and I think as that starts to change as millennials step in and become teachers and CEOs and you know we have more women and we have more you know diversity in the top dogs yeah I do think it will start to change but at the moment we're right on that petering edge where we've still got very sort of you know, white middle-aged men kind of Mm. running the show Mm. um, in their 50s, 60s, 70s. And Mm -hmm. as that changes, I do think there'll be a significant difference in how we approach mental health as a a race.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think COVID will have made a huge Huge thing on that because I think a lot of larger, older companies prey on fear and like, you might get fired or you won't get your bonus and like there's a real anxiety potentially in the workplace and control whereas with COVID everybody's remote and there isn't as much control and people have a bit more freedom and they're still doing good work and I know that's it's kind of gone a little bit extreme in some cases where people are working harder than ever because of, because they don't there's have no to,
1: separation
2: uh, yeah mm. so the structure thing so like there's pros and cons to that but mm. I think it will cause a big positive impact and yeah. people being way more inclined to be proactively taking care of their employees because mm. they've seen the social fabric of companies is kind of yeah. it's, it's, it's not, not as much there because yeah. people are remote and you have to really work on it yeah um, yeah, yeah. that's good
1: yeah Moving on a little bit um, uh, on on what you were touching upon. So as as a wider society, we're learning more and more what we what we need to do to look after our mental health. Generally speaking, Mm -hmm. as an individual, you know, if somebody really needs help, what would you advise their first point of call to be? you know, we've said that you can see some help on social media. People are more willing to talk about it. But yeah, what would your first point of call advice be if somebody's
0: feeling that I'm really struggling? I mean, the very first thing is like, well done for realising that you need help.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, just an internal congratulations. Being, that day where you go, Do you know what, I need some help with this. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, That that is that's the biggest step that you ever take, realizing that you need help and finding the willingness and the open mindedness to ask for it. Yeah. The next bit is asking for help. So um, if you find that you are in a position where you have someone, a close friend or a family member that you can confide in, um, that's sometimes really helpful because that family member you know, isn't going through what you're going through and isn't clouded by what's happening to you. And they may be able to say, OK, well, let me let me see what support is available and kind of help guide you. Or if you know someone who's been through something similar, they can often kind of point you in the right direction. These are very subtle sort of things that you can do. And I'm thinking, for, you know, for people who find it very difficult to ask for help. But more often than not, when you start talking, you. Um, people say oh yeah I went through that or I was speaking to someone yesterday who um was basically when their boss kind of came back to them they were having some problems with anxiety but she said oh yeah you know I've had this you know I've had major problems with anxiety four times in my life um and this person found it really difficult to ask for help but the response she got was total identification and I think that's really important to remember because you just don't know how many people are experiencing the same thing and the way I like to think about it for me is like okay I'm just a normal human being like I'm just a normal human being pretty average on the earth equal to everyone else if I'm experiencing this there are other people experiencing this yes so if you can talk to someone that is your first port of call and talking is so important because it basically it it sort of shines it sort of lets any shame come out of the problem as soon as Mm. someone says oh yeah I've been there or my family member had that or my friend went through that the shame dies Mm. and it feels much 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 smaller of a problem Mm. than it does when you're sitting with it on your own and in the back of the mental health workout program there's a section called physio for your feelings Mm -hmm. and um most of the physio exercises are like OK, now talk to someone, <laughs> now mm. talk about it, <laughs> because we gain, you know, our, our neuro pathways heal when we're witnessed, when we're in mm. communication with other people. Uh, um, yeah. I think that's partly why lots of people's mental health has suffered during COVID, because, you know, it's one thing being on on Zoom, but there's something very different being with someone in person and going, Do you know, what I've been suffering with panic attacks, let's say, and the other person says, um, yeah, I've been there as well. Mm. Um, this is what I did. Yeah. There's something so healing to our—I don't know what you what you call it but or the neuro pathways. I use that again. Mm. Um, the neurochemical response is probably mm. the biochemical response um, mm-hmm. in that. So, i sort of a long-winded way of saying, yeah. like, well done for asking for help, and keep talking about it until you get what you need.
2: On each episode we want to shout about a charity or social enterprise we are passionate about. Today, we'd like to mention Young Minds, who are fighting for a future where all young minds are supported through life, whatever the challenges.
1: Children and young people with mental health problems are at the heart of everything they do, and we believe it's a very worthy cause doing amazing things. Find out more at youngminds.org.uk. Now back to the podcast. I didn't realize that and I, I find that so powerful actually having talking about and having a shared experience or connecting and getting that empathy from somebody and and giving that
0: empathy as well is healing I think yeah. that's very powerful but to, it, to not only is it like spiritually healing but it's it's proven it's scientifically yeah. healing when yeah. I used to do trauma work in you know when I was allowed to be in a room with lots of people um uh, the whole part of the, the whole thing was that it was being witnessed. And often people would say, I don't want to talk about my trauma in front of four or five other people. And when you explain, but that is how you heal when you talk about it and other people witness it and they come up, they come back to you with compassion, empathy, and identification. Your brain that has been stressed out and traumatized for as long as it has been suddenly goes, ah, oh, and that stress response turns off. And suddenly that. you feel safe, and suddenly you're able to talk about what happened to you and kind of work through it. Yeah. Um, it's a really big part of healing being witnessed, being heard, being understood. Amazing.
2: It, you always see that in movies, and obviously it happens in real life with the AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. It seems a big thing yeah. get in a circle, share what your story is. Mm. Yeah.
1: Um, I always thought uh, that was for accountability. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah which I I know is obviously a a part of it, but just that I I really take that on board, the healing. And I think also as a, I think really as a listener, and you hear this empathy is important, empathy is important, but just thinking empathy is healing
3: Mm.
1: Mm. is amazing. Mm. Um, With that, are there any, yeah, are there any recent cases that or general stories that you've seen from um, people you've worked with that can that can give people
0: some hope if they're struggling right now. Yeah, I mean, I always have stories. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think the thing at the moment um, that's coming up for everyone is this like idea that we have to be okay coming out of lockdown as like the yeah. regulations change. I was doing a session with a group a couple of weeks ago, I think it was uh, maybe longer now, um, and for like the hundredth time, someone said like, "I just." don't want to go out yet um and I was like okay guys like I don't know who has come up with this person somewhere in our heads that is totally fine and okay and has survived the last 12 months with like no issues no anxiety and is like ready to go out and like live life normally again but as far as I'm aware they don't exist like we've Mm. just created that in our head that we're comparing ourselves against this like idealized person that I haven't come across yet. Everyone has got their stuff about the next 12 months. Everyone is gonna be holding stress, grief, trauma from what's happened, whatever your situation has been. And I think when I said that, the whole group were like, oh, okay. So we're all gonna have our stuff. It's all gonna be slightly different. You know, What we really can do is just listen to each other and be compassionate and not judge how each other are coping. Um, And I could see the whole group kind of go, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. then we were able to sort of talk about hope and whatever that means in terms of um, the future. If you're able to kind of cultivate hope in your life, but mm-hmm. that was the first time that I was like, okay, this idealized idea that we're all there's a group of people who are going to be absolutely fine coming out of this pandemic is. Um,
2: just not a thing yeah yeah it's almost I don't know if this is a bad expression but kind of herd mentality whereas if you if you're told yeah it's going to be great let's do it you're like okay then but you're not actually questioning yeah how that feels for you and yeah uh, like understanding the anxiety and I guess kind of on that point is there any daily rituals just from a practical perspective like any daily rituals you do that kind of set you up for the day or set a foundation or allow yourself to be a bit more in tune with your your feelings
0: yeah um so I mean I stand by all the stuff that I talk about in your mental health workout as a program there's like daily and weekly workouts but specifically at the moment for me I'm really into um more holistic therapies like breath work and meditation um, and movement like being trying to be in my body because I realized, and some people will be surprised to hear this, I'm not particularly, but some people will be. I realized coming up to the end of this last lockdown that I was holding so much stress in my body and I hadn't really acknowledged it. And I started to get like dry skin and stress ultimately for everyone, it targets like the weakest parts of your physiology. So I tend to get like dry skin or a tummy ache or spots. And then it also targets so much so like skin stuff or like um, in, uh, digestion stuff for me um, but then it also targets like the weakest parts of your the most vulnerable parts of your psyche so if you're sort of low on things like patience or tolerance or you find it really difficult to um, motivate yourself when you're stressed those will be the first things that suffer and Mm. uh, (laughs) it's a really good thing to kind of (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. um so when I start noticing those things in myself in my body or in my um more emotional landscape I'm kind of like oh I must I think I'm stressed I find it very difficult to recognize stress in myself because I'm I can be quite fast-paced and I'm a doer and you know I don't sort of suffer fools, I just kind of get over and get up get on with it and get it done. Um and lots of people out there will be the same, um, or, or similar. Um so at the moment, the things that are really soothing to me and the things that are really helping me stay in touch with my feelings are very much kind of body scans, mindfulness, um, doing stuff like acu- I've got, well now that we're allowed out, stuff like acupuncture. Um, the thing that I always give to people as like a number one tip in terms of getting used to being connected to your feelings is when you get up in the morning check in with yourself and ask like how am I today it may take a while for you to actually realize what the answer is but the fact is you're answering it you're asking yourself the question not how do I want to feel today how do I want today to go how am I going to make today a good day a happy day a grateful day just how am I today and once you get your answer. How are you going to work with that? I'll give you an example. So earlier in this week, I had a day. I think it was Tuesday, and I knew I wasn't all right when I woke up. I felt like disappointed, let down, angry, sad, um, and I was just like, okay, this is what I'm working with today. And I went into my first call, and it wasn't a client. It was a it was a something else call. And they said, "How are you?" And I said, "Not having the best best day. I'm just, you know, I'm just feeling a bit disappointed and let down today. But I'm sure it will." lift as the day goes on. And it did, but it was helpful to acknowledge that because then Mm. I could process it. Whereas if I'm going around going, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. (laughs) You know, everything's good. This is good. But deep down, I'm feeling sad, disappointed and let down. Um, Basically we abandon ourselves um, Mm. and we don't work with ourselves. We work against ourselves. Mm. So, when I work with new groups, the first thing I ask them to do is to create a daily ritual of checking in first thing in the morning, and then if you want, first last thing at night as well. I tend to do breath work at night, um, mm-hmm. but those are like my bookends, like checking in and then doing the breath work before I go to go to sleep, and it helps me go to sleep. And then in between all the other stuff, movement, therapy, connection, um, socializing in a safe and you know COVID-friendly way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so there are lots of things, that. but I think those are the two. two yeah, those are
1: your two highlights. Key. Yeah. yeah. I, now, there's two things I've really taken from that. Firstly, breathwork. Love breathwork. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, Sam and I, especially at the beginning of COVID, we did it a lot. Just I i don't think we've ever found anything that's really helped us release the emotions that you're carrying we yeah. um, just find that breath work just brings it all out whether that's real happiness and hope or it's sadness and frustration just like i don't know it just felt like a massive release for me and actually you mentioning it has made me realize i really need to go back to doing that because that was such a good i i find i'm too maybe hyper to meditate but with breath work i really could um yeah. give that time so yeah that's a really good tip and then the second one is just, allowing yourself to feel how you feel and acknowledging it with others and 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 creating a and and everyone finding that that's okay to do and you know not everyone has to be fine all the time um and you know going into a meeting and everyone's like oh how are you you're like I'm okay it's it's not my best day but I'm okay and actually how that releases it for you I think yeah I'm the type of person who'd be like yeah I'm okay I'm good you know Yeah, I'm great all all the time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And inside, I'm like, oh, I'm just a bit, I'm a bit over it today. (laughs) And actually saying that more often is
2: is good. Well, on that that point, actually, what is for somebody that's listening and on the other side of Mm -hmm. that, so say they're in work and somebody comes in and says, yeah, I'm not feeling good today. Mm. like. That's and I, a good follow yeah, and I, I always rush to how can i help like what is, Solution. i know that's not always the right thing or most of the time it probably isn't the right thing like is there yeah one or two tips on that if you're the person on the other side and you're dealing with someone in a relationship or a family member is just down and you're not sure what to do like is there a couple of things that are useful um on that?
0: i think you can just you know i mean I mean, I'm trained in it because I'm a therapist, but reflective listening is the mm. most helpful thing. Someone says, yeah, I'm not having a great day. I'm sorry, not having a great day. Is there anything I can do? Not really. Okay, well, I'm here if you need me. Yeah. Rather than jumping in to try and fix how the person feels. Funny enough, I was writing a post. I'm going to post it later, but things that we can do to support each other coming out of the trauma of the pandemic, and one of them is, like, give yourself permission to feel your feelings yeah. and know that you can't fix anyone else's feelings.
3: Yeah. Um, because we're
0: so like, oh, my God, what can I do? How can I make you feel better? I do it as well. You yeah. know, yeah. there are people around me that are like, can you just let me be angry? Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me just let you be angry. Yeah, <laughs> But um, I'm like, okay, so it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, but being able to be like, okay, you know, I hear that you're down or I hear that you're angry. Um, is there anything you need me to do? Ask them. And then they have the option to say, not right now, but I'll come back to you if I can think of anything, or they get to be in the driving seat of what's going on for them. Because ultimately, what people don't like is when we take away their agency. And when we say we do something or say something that attempts to take away their feelings or fix their feelings, often the person gets further upset or angry because their experience of being them in that moment is you know you're trying to change it you're trying to take it away from them Mm. and really what they want is just to be like okay this is how i am today and i want to work or live in an in an environment that accepts all the sides of me not just the side of me that's like productive and on top of things and happy so So accept it it, active listening ask if they need anything and respond accordingly to that
1: Mm. let them drive it
0: yeah let them
1: drive it let them drive it um Gosh, I mean, <laughs> there's still so many yeah, things I want to ask. more we go through,
3: don't worry. <laughs> um,
1: I think we've covered, if you have any additional tips for dealing with stress, I think we've covered that a little bit with daily routine and you're checking in um, at the beginning or the end of the day, how you, how you are, how you're feeling, and then accepting and acknowledging that feeling. But is there any any other tips that you have for handling stress or burnout?
0: Yeah. Uh, stress and burnout are really big topics at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So nice to hear. <laughs> um, I think the, the number one thing I say with stress is if you are stressed, if you're experiencing those stress responses, whether it's your body or your mind reacting, you have to give yourself to step away from the stressor. So the thing that's stressing you out, you have to, I don't, I don't, it sounds a bit harsh, but I don't care what it is. It can be your kid, your cat, your job, mm. your finances, your eating. You know, whatever it is that's stressing you out. Just give yourself permission to step away from it, just for a bit, not forever. You're not letting go of it forever, but yeah. just to step away from it because the stressor is one thing, but if we deal with the stressor and don't we don't deal with the stress response, we just sort of put a plaster on the wound. Mm. Um, and often, if we concentrate on the stressor and handling the The kid, the cat, the job, the family, whatever it is that's um, stressing you out. Um, We try, we continue to try and fix things outside of ourselves rather than handling our stress response internally and letting that complete because it's a whole thing. You know, there's cortisol, there's adrenaline, there's all sorts of chemicals kicking off inside of you. And Mm If you were, I always use this example, but in so in the wild, like any other animal other than humans, because fundamentally we're just animals, but any other animal, if they have a stress response, they fight, flight, freeze or fawn is the other one. So if they do any of those things after the threat, which is the stressor has gone, they then get up from that position, say they've frozen or they've played dead and they like shake out all the adrenaline. And they go on a long run and they get rid of the buildup of the cortisol and they naturally flush it out. Yeah. For some reason, human beings have developed a lifestyle that means we just sit still. Yeah. So yeah. The stress stays in your system. So you have to give yourself permission to breathe, sigh, run, laugh, scream um, and do all the things that are actually going to allow your body mm. to complete the stress response because then you'll be able to deal with the stressor yeah Mm. so top tip step away from the thing that's stressing you out first give yourself permission to do that and then deal with the stress deal with what's going on in your body give yourself the opportunity to release that energy release that build up then you can go back and handle the boundaries around the thing that's stressing you out whether that's work boundaries or boundaries with your kids or boundaries with your cat I don't know. my cat's really annoying I don't yeah. know yeah, my like cat. Say, but she can be really annoying I <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> thought I heard scratching
2: on the door when uh, the podcast <laughs> started uh, <enjoy. laughs> uh, yeah but yeah, that, yeah, that's really good advice in general it's just like advice. trying to be a bit more objective and trying and almost yeah step outside Detentious. and go what's a good thing for Sam to do in this situation mm, and, and try yeah. to kind of remove a little bit no that's really really good mm,
0: I hope that's to that's- there's Sorry. just one thing I'd like to add as well, actually, on burnout, yeah. which, again, possibly a little bit controversial, but I believe that burnout stems from not feeling good enough. So ah. with burnout, if you work on your self-esteem, you will burn yourself out less because we tend to overdo things mm. because we're trying to escape feeling less than or not feeling good enough. And if you can work on liking yourself as you are and doing the good enough stuff that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you are much less likely to burn yourself out because you'll believe that you're good enough. You don't need to keep overdoing things and burning yourself out in order to prove something. I just think that's a really
1: important thing in terms that's of that's a very so. important, that's a very important um add on.
2: Like, there, there's a friend of mine who works in finance, and we're on a bit of a journey together this year because we're trying to change lots of things in our lives. But he was like until mm. eight, nine, ten o'clock every night, and in that cycle of burnout, basically. Um, and then he kind of finally realized, Look, I'm just going to strip back the errors I'm going to leave at six and see what happens. And he's been doing that there for two or three months, mm. and everything's yeah. fine. His boss, yeah, nothing. Has, be, worked, performed really good. Yeah. it's like a, a, a job will take up all the time you give to it, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're being more productive or being more effective it's yeah. just yeah it's a weird hole you can kind of jump into yeah, um, yeah. definitely
1: but, I and that ah oh, I there's I have so many things I want to say about that that <laughs> that bit the power of thinking I'm good enough I think we okay. find that running a business and you you probably find that as well you know running your own business enterprise there's always more you can be doing and you always feel like there's more you can be doing and you just get so caught up in this list of to-dos and goals that you should be reaching and targets you want to hit and forget to just go that you or realize that you know what this is a continuous cycle i am good enough i am making changes with every small step i take and sometimes there'll be leaps and sometimes it'll be a tiptoe and it's all fine you know exactly. <laughs> and it's just yeah. so like, it's hard so... to keep reminding yourself that <laughs>
2: yeah. now, part of the reason we set this up was to have more time i think everyone that sets up a business i can have more flexibility and more yeah. time and it probably we're four years doing it it probably took three years for us to feel comfortable taking an afternoon off during the week to just go and enjoy the sunshine or whatever. It's really weird. It's just hardwiring.
3: Yeah, Um,
2: yeah. Kind of just moving on to creativity and happiness. Mm -hmm. Like we know as a company and we see it in the studio all the time, like there is science behind the benefits of being creative. Um, What role do you think creativity can play in somebody's recovery or kind of um happiness or mood
0: uh i think it's pretty big to kind of put it bluntly and um, you have to remember that only like 25% of our communication is words yeah. Yeah. you know the rest of our communication is nonverbal and so it can be in any other form other than actual words and creativity gives you the outlet for the other like 75% of your nice. communication of your feelings and one of the things that I think contributed to the sort of lockdown fatigue that people were getting was the lack of um, creativity and inspiration and motivation for things other than you know desperately trying to think of things to talk about with your partner or your flatmate or your family or indeed yourself if you were on your own. Um, Our brains are hardwired for inspiration and motivation and learning and growth Mm. and when we don't get that it's like you know the chains are still going but there's no oil going in there's no fuel going in so they get very tired and rusty and i think that was kind of why we got so tired myself yeah. included especially during that first lockdown um so i think creativity is really important in terms of keeping literally keeping like the gears of your brain healthy and working mm. and there's a um protein i'm going to give you some science now there's a protein that we call bdnf um brain derived neuro. Neurotopic factor. I may have said that wrong. Um, Sounds legit to me. But that is created usually through exercise, but through any form of creativity or anytime the brain is active um, in a way that it uh, isn't, anytime the brain is active in a way that it isn't just sort of sitting down and talking and being stagnant, basically, that protein is creating really strong, sturdy support systems for the healthy neuropathways um, in Mm -hmm. your mind. So if you're on a recovery journey, if you are working on anxiety, if you're recovering from an addiction or you're indeed transitioning careers, just to name some of the things that we've talked about, using creativity to literally wrap a support system around the new neuropathways in your brain um, is a a really helpful thing to do, to kind of put it bluntly. You also Mm -hmm. have to remember that the limbic system sorry to go with science, I you all of a sudden, no, but the, this is great. The, the limbic system in the brain can't tell time. It do, And it doesn't know when things are actually happening and when they're not actually happening. It's our frontal cortex that knows, can tell time and can like line things up in a sort of intellectual way. So when we use our limbic system to be creative or we visualize something, you can heal things that aren't even happening now. And I think a lot of people use exercise to do that. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people use art to do that. I think a lot of people use, um, you know, uh, even sort of nowadays, the more sort of technical like online stuff, graphic design, and Mm -hmm. creating things like Mm -hmm. apps for people to use in a really um, creative way, or even gaming. you know, a lot of that is actually accessing that part of our brain and used well um, can heal some of the sort of unconscious wounds that we have. So, whatever your creativity is, um, just mm. let it let it run, let it go. Make mm-hmm. time for it. Include it in your self care, um, especially if you are working with any kind of panic or low mood or anything like that. It will it will help in the long run. Mm, nice. Wow,
2: that is a good answer. That is a brilliant answer. i learned a lot.
1: Yeah, wow. so
0: let it go because it literally is creating a support system. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like a I always imagine it's like um you know, like if you had a sore knee, you like wrap a like tube grip yeah. around it or you put yeah. a support on. I would I think of BDNF as that for the brain. Oh so wow. Like any any opportunity to create a support a a muscle support for the mind, we might as well take it. Yes, yeah,
1: definitely. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Um who has influenced you the most in your work that you do and your approach? Because one thing I've really learned from this which I guess I didn't really realize before about you So, is you have a really holistic approach to therapy and and looking after your your brain and your mind and it seems like you get your inspiration and guidance from lots of different sources but yeah who who has been or what has been the most <sighs> I well uh, yes uh,
0: good, good question I, I've got lots of um Inspiration from many, many different areas. Um, I've worked with people who I've just thought are amazing therapists, and they've taught me to think in particular ways or understand particular concepts, and I kind of take that with me. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of the more sort of holistic changes, I I don't say this very often on podcasts. This is this is um, the first time I've sort of shared this. But yeah. I spent a few years working. Um, a 12-step program not because of an addiction necessarily but for the sort of spiritual aspect of it and Mm. although I don't necessarily go to meetings that like spiritual model for life Mm. really works for me Um, and the idea that like tuning into your higher self and listening Mm. to what your body needs um, or indeed when you don't know what to do being able to lean on whether it's a higher power or another person whatever your sort of whatever your support system looks like um and trust and have faith that you will be okay is something that like fundamentally changed me as a person. So I have inspiration yeah. from actual people everywhere. There are particularly women in my life I've found sort of particularly inspirational. And there have been dancers and therapists and authors that have all contributed to the way that I am and the way that I think. But yeah. I think learning to have faith, um not in a religion or a God or anything like that, mm-hmm. but have faith in that I can handle whatever's thrown at me and really, mm-hmm. really, really feel that. Yeah. Um, is what in some ways inspires me to kind of just trust myself. Yeah. Things if that makes any sense.
1: Oh my gosh, it makes so much sense and is giving me shivers. It is because I was actually reading something today. Um, that's just to reflect on what you're saying. I was reading something today that you know nature looks after everything nature looks after the trees it looked up it looks after animals they're not worrying how will i be tomorrow how will i be okay so if nature can look after them you should trust that it will look after you no matter what happens and i thought yeah that is so true it's just fact you know they don't think oh what what will happen? Oh, I'm really stressed about this lion. That's you know they just yeah. do and they know and they will be looked after. So we should believe that more. And so what you're saying very much resonates. Yeah, I really, yeah. really
0: I hear that's that. it. And it's kind of I always feel a bit sort of self conscious sharing it because it's so sort of unscientific. But there is that kind of like I will be. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. You know, it'll be okay. I get stressed out sometimes about little things, and I'm like, oh, hang on, practice what you preach. La 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 la. I'm like. It'll work out. It'll be okay. And with that, the other side of that, of course, is the sort of manifesting side of things. So when you believe things will happen, you don't have to be like into like, you know, spells and potions, although it's fine if you are. (laughs) Um, But um, um, the belief that things will be okay usually means that they will be okay. Yeah. It's a
1: self-fulfilling Yeah
2: Fulfilling thing So kind of last question Yeah Very sadly um, So kind of I get Like what does the future Look like for Zoe Mm. And kind of where can People (laughs) find out about you And what have you got coming up I know you've mentioned the book So feel free to chat a little About the book And mention the release date Yeah Um, But yeah what's the future like Um, And how can people find out more And anything exciting coming up
0: Um, yeah, so, I mean, you can find out more on my Instagram, which is at your mental health workout. And there's a website, your mental health workout.com. I also have my own website that joined Zoe Aston.com. Um, and you can contact me through, um, the website really easily. Mm Um, that's where kind of all the information is the book, the paperback book with the full five week program is coming out on the 13th of May. Um, Mm -hmm. so in time for Health awareness month 2021. Um, yeah. so yeah, tell everyone you know, buy a yeah. copy for everyone you know. <laughs> <Yes>. um <laughs> we will all that kind of stuff.
2: And companies, <laughs> if there's anyone working in big companies, mm. like every employee could do with with this program and would benefit from it, I imagine. Yeah. Sorry to cut across you.
0: Yeah, no, fine. And it's super simple. Like I've read it so many times. I'm like, is this too simple? But then I've had very good feedback. So I'm just again trusting Trust it. that yeah. <laughs> it will it will um be good for people Mm. Um, what does the future look like i i to be quite honest um i just kind of roll with the punches as you may have kind of gathered i currently split my time between my private practice and my consultancy work and the sort of more media relations stuff um and i'm really happy doing that i've got lots of ideas for other books and sort of concepts that might help people um so i am personally and it might sound a bit odd that i don't have like massive career ambitions but like i'm very happy with what i kind of give to the world and yeah. mm. um i kind of sit comfortably in that place and as things come in for me i will kind of go go with the flow yeah um so i suppose what does the future hazard store is more of the same to be quite honest Yes. Yeah. um oh, and just yeah. keep unraveling yeah well
1: that's as really- you said you love you love following your potential so that's wherever your potential is leading you, whatever ideas that's where you go.
2: It's really refreshing to hear that because so many people are in the field, 10 years time, want to do this, this, this. Um, It's really nice that you're Mm -hmm. just content and happy and working hard and doing a really good job of what you're doing now and not, Yeah, not worrying about 20 years' time because Mm. 20 years' time would be great if it's as good as now.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
2: You do what you're doing.
0: That's true. I would add to that, though, just as a sort of caveat, like I am, I understand as well that I'm in a relatively privileged position in terms of my side of sort of um, foundations and uh, my education and the sort of Mm. the uh, not possibilities, the um, opportunities I've had in life that have been presented to me and I think you know if you do worry about stuff in the future that's also completely normal depending on where you are right now yeah um so you know I think it's also really helpful to say that because it's very easy from a place of privilege to say like oh yeah I'm not really worried about the future but mm-hmm. um you know someone who comes from a completely different background to me and has different experiences maybe like but of course I'm worried about the future you know mm-hmm. what's going to happen to me and that's okay too
1: Yeah
2: Yeah.
1: Absolutely Before we really close off I was just curious You mentioned there's some authors That you loved I don't know Can you recommend any podcasts Or authors Books to read As well as obviously Your mental
0: health workout That's coming out next month (laughs) So in the back of your mental health workout Is like a whole list Of authors And psychotherapists That have inspired me I can't remember all the names Off the top of my head right now But there's like a full sort of It's not necessarily a reference list Because I don't quote them exactly but it's all the people who have inspired my work um Brené Brown is a big one yeah. um, people like Pierre Melody who may or may not know she's sort of a pioneer in terms of codependence and um trauma work um I'm gonna I'm gonna feel awful now because I'm gonna forget some of them but um <laughs> there's a guy called Bessel van der Kock who um writes about how the body stores trauma and stress um and there's another author called Gabor Mate who is a bit more scientific but hungarian guy works very works up with addictions and trauma um mm. his stuff is excellent mm. um Heard that name. yeah he's brilliant yeah. um who else nice. um i think that was kind of be my sort of that's my top four yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's first great. come to mind so
1: yeah brilliant nice gosh well thank you so much zoe i feel like i've learned so much in the space of an hour Um, and I'm so excited about your book coming out I'm really looking forward to it I'll be reading that everyone please check out Zoe's website even her free training your mental health workout is really really good I went through some of the videos um, last week and I found them so insightful so please do that and thank you so much Zoe for your time thank you for having me
2: So that's the end of that episode. We hope you enjoyed. What did you learn? If you haven't subscribed yet, be sure you do so you get first dibs on all future episodes.
1: Be sure to check out the previous ones too. There's tons of useful nuggets in them. We do the podcast for free in the hope that it is helpful to you. So any support is much appreciated to help us grow it. Tell a friend, your dog, your cat about the podcast. If you enjoyed it or even better, leave us a review. We absolutely love reading them.
2: If you fancy getting a little creative, be sure to check out at MYO London or at Creative Jungle Co on Instagram or just get in touch.
1: Here's to a more colorful, creative, and happier rest of your week.
2: You You got got this, this, you
1: creative creative legends. legends.